I'm coming after your soul today. Ever since, <clears throat> ever since I got the call from Pastor Jr. to come to be on staff here, the Lord dropped in my heart a sermon, and I've been working on it since March. It has to deal with repentance. It's actually repentance to restoration. How many is thankful for the restoring love of God? Has anybody ever been restored? Amen. Turn with me to Acts chapter 17. Verses 18 through 31. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Speaking of Paul. Others some, he said, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ear, we would therefore we would know therefore what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear something new. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I have passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he hath given to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations." of men to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily, if happily they might feel after him and find him though he be not far off from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as certain, as, as certain also of your own po- poets have said for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at it, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness and that by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance to all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. 
Father, I come to you today with humbleness, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my lips, Lord. Help me, Lord, to say the things that need to be said. Lord, help me not to be, af- be afraid to say the things that need to be said. And we'll thank you, Lord, give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. What is the definition of repentance? Webster defines it as the act or process of repenting, especially for misdeeds or moral shortcomings. To turn from sin, to dedicate oneself to the amendment of one's life. In today's culture, repentance has been reduced to nothing more than a mere, I'm sorry, and that's it. No remorse, no shame. Some people don't even feel bad. It's just lip service. Forgive me. Repentance is a change in how a person thinks that leads to a change in how that that person lives. When you really change your mind about something, it will change how you think about it. It will change how you talk about it. It will change how you feel about it, and it will change how you act about it. Repentance is a decisive change in direction. Repenting perfectly describes what happens when you come to Christ. You no longer reject Christ. You now believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. You do a spiritual about-face which in turn changes everything. Jesus emphasized in Matthew 18, 8 through 9, the necessity of repentance when he said, if your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. In other words, he was telling his hearers to understand the fact that they needed to cut off the worldly gods and the idols from their lives. They will cause you to stumble and fall. Get them under the blood. Turn away from them. In our text, Paul is addressing the Greeks at Athens in this passage. Athens was the university center of the world It was the city of Pericles, Demosthenes, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Sophocles, Euripides. That's enough of that. (laughs) Paul was on his way to Berea with certain unnamed Christians traveling to Corinth. He didn't intend to stay long in Athens. But while he was there, he walked around the city and saw the, all the gods being worshipped. There were 30,000 different gods of worship and idols in the city of Athens. And it disturbed him to see the city full of idols. Verse 16 of this chapter says that Paul's spirit was moved or provoked when he saw this. When you skip down to verse 18, 
It says he debated a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who were strongly questioning him. They were advocating for their gods. Let's take a look at these two groups of people. The Epicureans. They were followers of the ancient Greek philosopher Epicurus. Epicurus was an atomic materialist. They were atheists. They denied God Almighty's existence. Epicurus believed that the basic constituents of the world are atoms moving around in a void. His followers were known as moderate yet practical utilitarians. They believed in empirical reasoning. They believed in no afterlife. They believed that even the gods who they worshipped were distant and non-involved. They were just on a practical search for happiness. Their motto was, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we will die. Kind of sounds like today, don't it? The second group was the Stoics. The Stoics were a group of people who sat under the teaching of Zeno of Cadion. Zeno was a Hellenistic philosopher. Webster says that Hellenism is the devotion to or imitation of ancient Greek thoughts, customs, or styles. They worshipped the Greek gods, which are the Olympians, divinities of nature, spirits of nature, underworld deities, and heroes. Both physical and spiritual ancestors are greatly honored. Stoicism lays, laid great emphasis on goodness and peace of mind gained from a life living, uh, living a life of virtue in accordance with nature. The philosophy of the Stoics held a strong belief in personal ethics, virtue, and aligning oneself with nature. Balancing these things were thought to lead to a good and happy life. They believe everything is God and that he does not exist in a separate entity. They believe that God is the rock. God is the trees. God is every material thing. Their attitude of life was one of ultimate resignation. They pride themselves in their ability to take whatever came at them. Mark my word, there will always be a group of people that come against you when you start preaching truth. Verse 18 of our text says that they called Paul a babbler. In their minds, what is, just what is he trying to say? He starts by an introduction. He tells them that there is evidence of pagan worship. Verses 22 through 23 says, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For I have passed by and beheld your devotions. I found an altar of the inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship. Again, kind of sounds like the world we live in today. Then Paul tells them 
that true worship is worshiping God Almighty in verses 24 through 25. God made the world, all things therein, seeing that he is Lord in heaven of earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with man's hands, as thought he needed anything, seeing he giveth life to all, and breath into all things. Paul gives them a lesson in relations between God Almighty and mankind in verses 26 to 28. 26, and he hath made of one, of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him though he may not be far from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as certain also of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring. Paul then calls out their objects of false worship the idols of gold, silver, and stone Verse 29 says, For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is likened to gold, silver, or stone graven by art or man's device. Then, in verse 30, Paul, being the first century Pentecostal preacher that he is, tells him this. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at it, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Three times Ezekiel included God's, God's call to the people of Israel. Ezekiel 14, 6, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, Repent, and turn yourself from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. Ezekiel eighteen thirty. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent. And turn yourself from all your transgressions, so iniquity shall not be your ruin. Ezekiel 33, 11, the third time, say unto them, as I live, say the Lord God, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? There's a call for Repentance. What did Jesus say about repentance? Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, Repent, for the kingdom of, hand, kingdom of heaven is at hand. He said again in Luke 5, 32, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When the Lord says something twice, it's of great importance. Jesus said it twice in Luke 13, verses 3, and then again in verse 5. Verse 3, I tell you, nay, except you repent, ye shall likewise perish. Verse 5, I tell you, nay, except ye repent, ye shall likewise perish. Jesus said to the ten in Luke 24, 46 to 47, and he saith unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. True repentance leads a person to say, I have sinned. True repentance is proven with a 180 degree change of direction. It must be a Paul on the Damascus Road experience. 
True repentance requires true brokenness. Repentance is not, repentance is not, repentance is not asking the Lord for forgiveness and then with intent to sin again. Repentance is honest and regretful acknowledgement of sin with the commitment to change. Repentance leads us to pursue godliness while forsaking bad habits that lead us to sin. Repentance is a change of heart and life regarding sin. It's turning from our sinful ways and towards God. We repent because we have sinned against God and we want to be forgiven. We, we acknowledge our need for God's forgiveness and grace when we repent. Sin always starts with a temptation. Let's look at David, the greatest king of Israel, a man after God's own heart, walking around on his roof, overlooking the kingdom that God had given him. Who does he notice? You know, it's Bathsheba taking a bath. A temptation is born. David should have immediately turned from it, but he didn't. Remember this it's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was in always tempted, always tempted, yet he sinned not. It's sin when you act upon temptation. It's when it makes that 18-inch journey from here to here. Temptation became a thought. The lust entered into David's mind. David and his wife Michael's relationship was already on shaky ground. And to make matters worse, I'm sure that David was reminded of how his wife, Michael, criticized him for dancing in front of the ark in 2 Samuel 6. You better be careful how you criticize someone's prayers to God. She was barren all of her days after that. Oh, the thought that the enemy will place in your mind Hebrews eleven twenty five mentions sin being pleasurable for a season. The thought was born. David should have immediately turned from it, but he didn't. The thought became action. What did he do? He sent for Bathsheba. He committed adultery with her. And she becomes pregnant. He's now nervous that his sin is going to find him out, which it will. So he sends for Uriah, that was her husband, to come home so he could spend the night with her. David was hoping that it would cover up his sin. But Uriah, being the soldier and the man of war that he was, 
could not get his men off of, the, off of his mind. They were out fighting the battle. And that made David mad because his deceptive plan just backfired. So what does he do now? He commands this military leader, Joab, to place Uriah on the front lines of the battle. You know the story. Then he has the army pull purposefully back. Uriah was exposed to the enemy's attack. Joab was just following David's command. And it appears that Uriah was killed in battle, but really, David just had him murdered. So now, David's an adulterer, now he's a, and he's a murderer. Bathsheba mourned the death of, death of Uriah, and then she was brought to David to be his wife. That's when the thought became action. David should have immediately turned from it, but he didn't. The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell him a story in 2 Samuel 12 about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many flocks and many herds. The poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. He fed it. The little lamb even ate with the poor man's children. It was a pet. There was a traveler who came to the rich man and to avoid taking from his own herd to prepare a meal for the other traveler, he robbed the poor man's lamb and prepared it for his guests. When Nathan told this, this story to David, David's anger burned intensely against the rich man and said, saith that he deserves to die and he must make restitution. Nathan said to David, you are the man. God anointed David king over Israel. God spared David from Saul's hand. God gave David his master's house. The house of Israel and Judah would have given him more. Then David sent Uriah to battle to the front lines so he would be killed and take Bathsheba before his wife. David knew at that time he needed to repent. Remember this. There's always, always, always a consequence for sin. There's an old saying, sin will take you farther than you want to go. Sin will make you stay longer than you want to stay. And it will make you pay more than you want to pay. Part of David's payment for his sin against God was the death of his child. God took David and Bathsheba's child. The Bible says that the sword never left David's household. David did repent. In Psalm 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to thy multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out, blot out my transgressions. 
Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and, did, and in sin did my, did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and the hidden part that thou, that thou make, shalt make me known was to make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be made whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And uphold me with thy free spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. Thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. 2 Samuel 12 and 13 says that David repented of his sin. And, and Nathan the prophet saith unto him that the Lord has also put away thy sin and that he would not die. The Lord did restore David. Thank the Lord. Let's take a look at Peter. Peter's life is one of the greatest stories of redemption ever recorded. He was a fisherman. Hot-tempered and vulgar language. Very physical. Very unafraid. Peter's first encounter with Jesus was a lasting one. He'd been fishing all night and hadn't caught a thing. Here comes Jesus. Told him to launch out his boat into the deep and cast your net on the other side of the boat. Peter was hesitant. He was a seasoned fisherman who was really just trying to appease Jesus at the time. I mean, this man from Galilee comes tells me how to fish. But when he started pulling back his nets in, and his nets began to break, that's when the miracle immediately made a believer out of Peter. Luke 5, 8 says that Peter fell down at his knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter recognized the Lord's divinity. That's when Jesus told Peter to fear not from henceforth, thou shalt catch men. Peter forsook all and followed him. He became part of Jesus' inner circle. Peter was a man who wanted mighty faith. But like all of us, he faltered often. Peter's stumble as a Christ follower doesn't cancel his identity in Christ. 
Your stumble as a Christ follower doesn't cancel your identity in Christ. God wanted to make sure that the whole world knew that when Jesus gave his life for all, he meant all. And he used Peter to make this clear. Romans 3, 22 through 24 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption of Christ Jesus. Jesus' first interaction with Peter in Matthew 4.19 is to follow Jesus. Peter belonged to the Lord at that point. Jesus reminded Peter who he is in Christ. Matthew 16.13-18 says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some said, Thou art John the Baptist. Some says, Thou art Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith to them, But who, who say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee also, that Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus confirmed Peter's identity. Peter followed Jesus everywhere he went. Jesus let Peter see things that only one could imagine. In Matthew 17, Jesus took Peter to the top of Mount Transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter wanted to build three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while speaking, they heard a voice for heaven proclaiming, This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. Peter saw Jesus cast the devil out of the boy who kept throwing himself into the fire. One of the things that Jesus taught Peter and, his disi- and the disciples was forgiveness um, among themselves. Matthew 18, 21 to 22, then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, my brother, how shall, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him till seven times. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until seventy times seven. Jesus was trying to make a point how many times you should forgive someone that has offended you. Peter saw the Pharisees try to stump Jesus with questions about the law in Matthew 19. Peter was with Jesus at the triumphal entry. Peter was with Jesus at the Mount of Olives when he taught about the destruction of the temple, the abomination of desolation, the coming of the Son of Man, and to watch therefore. A little time has passed, and now we come to the Last Supper. And knowing all that is about to happen, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it. 
Peter even told Jesus after they left the Last Supper that even though all men shall be offended because of thee, I will never be offended. Jesus looked at Peter and said in Matthew 26, 34, Verily I say unto thee that this night before the cock crow thou shalt deny me thrice. Peter still said, No way, Lord, not me. Jesus took Peter to Gethsemane to pray. Then here comes Judas with the great multitude and kissed Jesus, signifying that he was the one. Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of the servant of the high priest out of loyalty to Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. They took Jesus to the court. Peter came in and sat with the servants where Caiaphas, the high priest, and the elders were. Then a young girl recognizes Peter and comes over to him and says, Hey, you're one of them. You know him. Peter says to her, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. Peter leaves and he goes to the porch and another maid sees him and says to the others that were there and that were with her. This fellow was also with Jesus. Peter said, again, I don't know the man. Just twice. Then some more people came to him saying, surely thou art, the one, of, thou art one of them. We can tell by the way you walk. The world can tell when you've been around Jesus. It's evident in your speech and in your actions. The third time, Peter said, I know not the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. Scripture says Peter went and wept bitterly. They crucified Jesus. In Peter's mind, all hope was lost. He's thinking, why did I do that? He went back to, Peter went back to his old job fishing. While he was fishing, I'm sure he, his mind wandered. Probably remembering the time that he spent with Jesus. All the miracles he saw. How he saw Jesus, Moses, and Elijah on the mount. Probably thinking, oh God, forgive me. If I could just repent. Then three days pass. Mark 16 says... And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun, and they said among themselves, Who shall roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that their stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right, clothed, in a long white garment, and they were very affrightened. 
And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is, he is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where, he, where they laid him. Here's the part of the scripture that I want to bring to your attention. In verse 7 says, But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter. That he goeth before you into Galilee, there shall ye see him. And the angel reminded them, the angel reminded them to tell Peter. Be sure and tell Peter. And even though Peter failed Jesus by denying that he knew him, Jesus still forgave his offense. No matter how many times you fall, no matter how many times you stumble along the way, no matter how many times you deny him, no matter how many times you revert to that old sin nature, Jesus will always take you back into the fold. He will never cast you away. Thank God my sins are gone. They're underneath the blood on the cross of Calvary. As far removed as darkness is from dawn, in the sea of God's forgetfulness, that's good enough for me. Praise God my sins are gone. Jesus gives to Peter his identity back. Remember what Jesus said to Peter, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Peter's story of redemption is really just one to behold. Since Peter denied him three times in John 21, before Jesus ascends to heaven, Jesus asks him three times to feed my sheep. Peter went on to be one of the greatest Pentecostal preachers of all time. He preached in Acts chapter 2, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be, it, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing that it is the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in earth beneath, blood and vapor, blood, fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day. And it shall come to pass that whosoever, whosoever, can you hear what I'm saying? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved by God among you by, by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourself know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Remember, this is Peter preaching, having loosened the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holding of it. For David speaking concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand that I shall not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh shall rest in hope because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. Neither wilt thou suffer the hope thine holy one to seek corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. 
Men and brethren, let me speak freely unto you of the patriarch David, that he, he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with you unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn him with an oath, that the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing, that, seeing this before, spake unto the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither did the flesh seek corruption. This Jesus whom God hath raised up, whereof we are all witnesses, therefore being seen by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received the Father of the, of the promise of the Holy Ghost, he, sh he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but saith unto him, The Lord saith unto my Lord, Sit on thou my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Let, therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said unto Peter, what do the, what, and said to the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He went from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows and yet the redeeming grace of God allowed him to preach that message and 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom that day. Brandon and worship team, can y'all help me? When you repent, and come clean with God, it's no questions asked. He won't turn down your request. John, 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering Thank God. He's long-suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. When he forgives, he forgets. Aren't you glad for that? Isaiah 43.25 says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Hebrews 8 and 12 says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sin and their iniquities will I remember no more. Psalm 103, 11 through 12 says, For as high as the heavens for as, for as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward us that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so hath removed our transgressions from us. Would you stand to your feet? <laughs>